0: Kick is live. It is Thursday night, March 3rd, the year of Our Lord 2022 jam-packed tonight. We are overflowing with content, even in the middle of the dreaded X season. High atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee, a bustling 73 degrees and sunny this afternoon, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. They're watching us tonight, Jesse and Colin. They're watching us in LAJ, Georgia. They're watching us in Hagerstown, Indiana. Williamson, West Virginia is tuned in. Thank you, one and all across the country and beyond. Got a fairly sizable international audience, by the way. Thank you so much. Spring is upon us, at least when it comes to college football. And I want to talk to you tonight about mystery, intrigue, suspense. Spring and suspense, they go together. And alliteration aside, there's a lot of it right now. So we're going to talk about the big mystery teams in college football this year. This is not going to change. You know, we're going to toss it out there in spring. It's not really going to change. I don't know that we'll learn all that much about these teams in spring, but we're going to do that. I got five of them that I want to dish out to you tonight. Oklahoma Mood Tracker. We're doing the Sooner Mood Tracker tonight. You've been asking for it. I think Oklahoma fans have been some of the most persistently vocal about getting the Mood Tracker on the show, so we're there for you tonight. The most underrated rivalry in college football right now, not the ones everyone talks about, so we're not talking Iron Bowl or or Ohio State Michigan tonight, but what's the one that really pops, but no one talks about it right now? I will talk about my selection. You can come up with yours a little bit later in the show, about 20 or so minutes from now. Also, on the Late Kick Extra podcast yesterday, which we got great reviews on, I think it's one of the best ones we've ever done. Uh, Several of the videos are on the YouTube channel right now. We did a question and answer. It's all question and answer. And one of you asked about the Mount Rushmore of that guy, that college football fan. Now, this is not some revolutionary concept. A lot of shows have done that before. We're just doing the college football version of it. But man, I put three or four of them out there. Then I put the clip out on Twitter and I asked, hey, do you have any submissions? Do you have a specific stereotypical fan that you have encountered and I didn't include it? And we have like 20 of them. I'm not going to include all of them tonight because we don't have time, but I have several quality additions, restaurant quality additions, as Jim Ross would have once said, to the Mount Rushmore, which is going to have more than four or five faces on it, sorry to say. All that and I will indeed respond to Brandon Walker's ratchetness from yesterday at the end of the show. um, You know, he's got a caboose vibe to him. So we'll put him at the end of the show at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you're following there. Uh, If you haven't noticed over the past couple of days, a lot of stuff happens as it relates to the show that doesn't always make it on the show. So there's a lot going on during the week, as you well know, at Late Kick Josh, Twitter, Instagram, best way to keep up with it. So let's dive into the show tonight. You got a whole lot to get to. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Five-star reviews on the pod if you haven't already. Mystery, intrigue, suspense, they are very, very quality buzzwords in our industry. It makes you lean in. But all I got to do is tell you right now, I got five teams I have no clue what to expect from this fall, and it's March in college football. That means spring practice, but we already are circling some mystery teams for 2022. And I want to go around the clock here, and I want to hit five of them right quick. And I wanna ask you, if you have any answers, if you think you've got these teams figured out, be my guest, let me know. Let's start with Michigan. Michigan obviously has been in the news a lot because Jim Harbaugh wanted the Minnesota job, didn't get the Minnesota job, he's back. You know all that. What we don't know is, how's that gonna impact Michigan moving forward? By the way, this is not some downtrodden, underachieving program relative to expectation anymore. They're fresh off a Big 10 championship, they're fresh off their first ever college football playoff appearance, but yet, if you were to suggest to me, they got nothing to worry about. The only, the only way Michigan definitively has nothing to worry about is if Jim Harbaugh is an alien. You know, because if he's human and he has human nature and characteristics about himself and the entire program's made up of flesh and blood human beings, yeah, I'm certainly not saying that they're in a, a big mess or anything like that. But yes, they have things to potentially be concerned with, not the least of which is losing the OC and losing the DC and Having a head coach jumping back in after sitting on the sidelines for 30 minutes. Look, you got to restretch. Go work out at the gym. You go sit down and start talking to someone for 30 minutes. You, gotta, you don't just ease back into it. you got to stretch yourself out a little bit. Well, here was what I was talking about when Harbaugh did not get the Vikings job and he came back to Michigan. What I said that I didn't think was going to be an issue, but we can never rule it out, is the Dan Mullen effect. Dan Mullen, a year before at the Florida program, tries to get out. And no one in the NFL would have Dan Mullen, and so he comes back, but he never came back. Now I think there's—I think we can all understand there's a whole lot of different attachment between Harbaugh and Michigan than there was with Mullen and Florida, but yet you can never fully rule it out. You just never know how this stuff's going to play out. Again, human beings are involved here. So Michigan, you know, before I even talk about JJ McCarthy, before I even talk about replacing coordinators, I'm talking about really fifty-thousand-foot type stuff right now. Speaking of coaching drama? You want to call it that? Let's go to Auburn. Do you know what to expect? I'm talking to you in Chambers County and Lee County and Russell County down there in, in, uh, what would that be? East Central Alabama. Do you know what to expect from your Auburn Tigers this year? How's this supposed to play out? And for me, just sitting here up in Nashville, how am I supposed to judge that man, Brian Harson? if you're watching on YouTube right now? We're just looking at B-roll of Brian Harson. How am I supposed to judge him? how am I supposed to have an unobstructed view of Auburn football? Right now? right Unobstructed means there is no external outside force reaching in there and clogging things up. Well, we're past that point now. It's happened. So we've had the obstruction already. Now, hey, Brian Harson, you're supposed to saddle it right back up. Get back on that horse, young man, and ride into the fall. And uh, you got Bama, Georgia, LSU, A&M to deal with, Arkansas, Ole Miss. You got to deal with them every year. Oh, and by the way, we tried to oust you, but we didn't find quite enough. So for the time being, don't get too attached, but for the time being, you're still the head coach here. Point being, even if everything's on the up and up, it's hard to win in the SEC West. How am I supposed to know whether Brian Harson is faltering or whether he was given a no-win situation and the hand that was dealt to him was, was terminally ill to begin with? I have no idea, but then I look at their schedule, and like I just said, <laughs> you're gonna, I'm not going to say this later, but when we do the That Guy segment, there is a that guy out there in college football that would look at this schedule, Auburn schedule, and they would criticize it because they're going to play Mercer. You know, they would ignore that got Penn State coming to town, got LSU going to go back-to-back Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas then, still got a and oh, by the way, you got Bama at the end of the year. Forget about all that. This schedule is soft because you play Mercer. Anyway, he's got to run through all that. I think this is the toughest job in America because of the combination of the external factors and the schedule. And then we look at quarterback at Auburn. I think it's hazy at best right now. Zach Calzada transferred in from Texas A&M. Robbie Ashford, I don't think a lot of you guys know, he transferred there from Oregon. So there was kind of a a straight up one-for-one switch. Bo Nix goes to Eugene. Robbie Ashford comes to Auburn. TJ Finley's still there. He was there last year. And Davis is a quarterback that was a true freshman last year. I I like his skill set a whole lot. I don't know necessarily how well they think he fits with their offense down there. I don't know what to expect from Auburn. We got a little time to figure it out. I don't think the answer will become any more clear until they tee it up this fall. What about Texas? Bo Davis told you. Steve Sarkeesian told you. If you watched Texas football last year at all, your own eyeballs probably told you. A lot of things need to change with this program. And one year under Steve Sarkeesian didn't do it, nor did any rational person expect for that to do it. Uh, But now here we are. We're about to enter spring of year two. And when I referenced Bo Davis, you remember that epic team bus rant that was recorded on cell phone video, and you heard him say what everyone else had felt, maybe in a little bit more animated fashion, but there were a lot of people here, a lot of people in this program, a lot of players in this roster who don't need to be here, and then we got to obviously replace those spots with guys who do fit the mold, characteristics, and critical traits that we're looking for. Well, they, to their credit, overturned as much of this roster so far as they possibly could, still got the post-spring transfer portal window, who knows what they do there, But Texas, along with another team that I'm going to talk about in a second, Texas football is one of the great unknowns, not only in the Big 12 and in their own backyard, but in the national landscape this upcoming year. Because think about what you do have. You still have a reasonably good talent roster, much improved from this time last year. You also have the net positive of the program representing more of your thumbprint if you're this coaching staff in year two. And you casually went and got Quinn Ewers, who I know is only one person, Therefore, when you look at a list of notable additions, he's just one line. If you add a transcendently good talent at the quarterback position, that's all he is right now. We have not seen him do anything. But if you add that talent, that potential, and it pans out, he's worth way more than just one line. I mean, that's a total game changer. Like, what was Bryce Young for Alabama? What was Trevor Lawrence for Clemson? So Quinn Ewers has all the measurables and all the physical characteristics to make you think he could project as a very, very upper tier to elite quarterback. If they've got all that, it's the definition of a wildcard team. Then you look at their schedule. How about week two? I I think a lot of you probably haven't looked this far ahead yet. Texas welcomes in the University of Alabama in week two. So Bama's going to Austin first time. Stats and Info can look that up. I don't know when the last time was Bama played in Austin. Uh, But then they've got the usual Big 12 conference schedule. While it lasts. Enjoy it while it lasts out there. Save those ticket stubs. So Texas is a great unknown in the Big 12 and beyond. Let's kick it over to the Atlantic Coast for the two. I mean, this one specifically to me was a crushing disappointment this last year. North Carolina, a lot was expected. And remember what the whole talking point was. It was North Carolina needs Clemson to trip up. If Clemson trips up, that's the predominant favorite there, Clemson. But if they trip up, boy, Mac Brown in North Carolina, Sam Howell pulling the trigger back there behind center, they could make a move. Well, Clemson had the down year that North Carolina needed them to have, and they were still nowhere to be seen. And it wasn't because they had catastrophic injury at quarterback. They just weren't as good as a lot of us, myself included, thought they would be. Having said that, spring brings new hope. I want to encourage you, if you even have a passing interest in North Carolina football, InsideCarolina.com, which is our North Carolina site, probably has about the most detailed spring practice reports you will ever see. I don't know that Mac Brown's coaching staff has as much detail on their roster and their team right now through a few days of spring practice as the guys over there on inside Carolina. So great intel. I mean, phenomenal intel. Almost like scouting report level intel. They went 6-7 and seven last year. It, it capped with an embarrassing loss for them to South Carolina in the bowl game. But they were 0-6 away from home last year. It's a stat I'm sure they've thrown around a lot. I don't know that the nation is necessarily aware that's how the losses shook out. But the quarterback battle, they have one there now. You're not going to enter into Preview Magazine season and have this fixture in Tar Heel Blue at quarterback, and then there's some other satellite pieces we got to fit in around him. No, you got Jacoby Gr- or Criswell and Drake May, who was a kid of the five-star variety they took from Alabama once upon a time. They've got a talent roster. This is why I keep my eye on North Carolina. Anytime you have expectation for a team that has really good to high-level talent, Top to bottom, and then they don't pan out. Everyone's tendency is to sell, and everyone's tendency is to get mad because that team didn't make me look smart, and so I'm going to totally sell them down the river. Well, then TCU's done this before. The next year is the year you want to watch them, because the next year is when nothing's expected, and all of a sudden, boom, they pop one year after they were supposed to. Speaking of the ACC, I'll wrap it up with the Clemson Tigers. There are obviously two drastically different ways that this can go, Clemson. Two totally drastic different paths this can take. 2021, though, what interests me about Clemson is everyone, well, I'll say most people are looking back on 2021 and they're saying that was a down year, for Clemson. I will admit it did not match what the last several years had been, but a lot of times when people are saying you had a down year, that means it's out of what the norm of expectation was, and then the follow-up, kind of the connotation behind it all is, and they'll be back. there will be a bounce back. And I've got to tell you, while I'm certainly not selling Clemson stock or anything like that, I don't automatically assume that. A lot of people are assuming last year was this minor setback for a major comeback, and if I'm a Clemson fan, of course I would feel that way. I would just blindly feel that way. But I'm looking around, and I'm asking, okay, short of a very workable schedule, Short of that, I'm talking about the quality of team they have, independent of what their schedule looks like. What would give me supreme confidence that a bounce back year is just inevitable? Because then you start tacking in that they got to replace Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator. They have to replace Brent Venables, who went to Oklahoma as the head coach, defensive coordinator. I think it sounds really good if you want to build the case against Clemson to say they lost the OC and the DC and then the AD. Uh, The fact of the matter is, Neff, I think the guy's name is, who's the athletic director there. Graham Neff, he had been groomed for a long time. So I think the loss of the athletic director is negligible here, but the on-field losses, yeah, you got that to worry about. And also, quarterback didn't exactly light the world on fire for them last year, and it was supposed to. So now, you know, they bring in a big-time talent as a true freshman quarterback to battle with DJ Uiangalale. Now, a lot of people are going to have takes on that. A lot of people are going to have takes on what kind of competition level will, will there be there. That's why spreeing is so intriguing there, but it's, it's a major litmus test. This feels so weird to say for a coach who already has two national championships. But if you really think about it, if you wanted to be a detractor, and I'm not trying to play that role, but if you really wanted to play the role of Dabo Swinney detractor, you could sit there and you could say, yeah, Dabo won two national championships, but he did it with that coaching staff, which even you would have to credit him that he put together. But here's how you would make that sound. I'm not of this opinion, I'm playing devil's advocate right now. You would say, all right, well now, he's gonna have to prove that his way works because his way is what he's leaning on. When he promoted from within, both of these coordinators, he promoted from within. They didn't have a search. I believe I was reading Grace Rayner's stuff over on The Athletic, he was quoted as saying it took about 20 seconds for him to make the decisions to promote from within, both on the offensive and defensive side, that's cool. He knows his program intimately better than any of us, including me, ever will. But that is where the litmus test comes. Because now you find out whatever Dabo Swinney's way is, whatever his methodology is, it's going to get put to the test this year. They had the down year last year, remember. They don't have room for another down year. Everyone's expecting the bounce back. So Michigan, Auburn, Texas, North Carolina, Clemson, those are five of my uh, mystery teams. Not bounce back. A lot of people are going to call them bounce back teams. They're just mysteries to me. We'll see. You know what time of show it is. But I got a special treat for you. So, as I told you earlier in the show, it was like 75 degrees. It's been really nice in Nashville. So there are a lot of folks who are all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork and trying to get to the park and trying to get to reserve a softball field. Sounds like something some of our folks should do by the way. And so it's outdoors time. And I have it on good authority that down in my neck of the woods, baseball season is about to crank up this Saturday. And I also have it on good authority that there's been a lot of internal strife on some of the coach pitch teams down there in Catala about team names. I'll get to that in just a second. But Academy Sports and Outdoors works its way into the equation here, even down in Catala, Georgia, because I pull up the iJosh today, and I got a text message. And it's from my sister. And um, I did not not force this. I did not ask for this. It was just sent to me. And um, since they've got the season starting this Saturday, she headed over to Academy. I got the receipt sent to me. There's a lot of money that got dropped at Academy down there. But also, Colin, if we have the picture of the wagon of equipment, this is a perfect illustration. You're just gonna have to trust me if you're listening on podcast as to what I'm talking about. When I say everything that you probably need for anything outdoors is at Academy, everything from the cooler to the water bottles, to there's all kinds of knickknacks in there. I can't even hardly see it. There's a, is, there, is there a basketball hoop? What is that, a lacrosse net? Anyway, everything that you could need, not only for the game, but then for the little kiddos that, you know, go to the sandbox or play behind the backstop and you don't want to worry about them running off into traffic, you got things to keep them busy too. Also, the canopies, I know some of you are fair-skinned, more fair-skinned with the ED on the end than others. You got to have the full canopy. Academy canopies, they are a fixture, not only on tailgate Saturdays in the fall, all around campuses and college football, but you go to baseball fields during the spring, you're going to have about five or six academy big canopy tents. And then you got the stragglers who don't want to waste any of their money, but they want to kind of ease their way under your tent. That's okay. We got room for all here at Academy Sports and Outdoors, but whatever it is you need, they got it. Now here's the, um, here's the big dilemma down there. So my little nephew is on a team and they needed a team name. They're playing the Honey Badgers this Saturday. Not a team name that I'm crazy about, but they arrived at the Catala Sox. And so I asked my sister, the what socks? She said, well, no one could really decide their favorite color. So they're just gonna be the Sox, which I think is a dereliction of duty on the coaching staff's part, because it's really time to just arrive at a decision. I coached a team named the Blue Sox before, and there was no Blue Sox in Major League Baseball at the time, nor is there now. Gotta have a color with the socks, or be like Colorado Springs. One of my favorite minor league team names is the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. The Sox, I had a cat named Sox one time. That's why I'm not a cat person anymore. Socks, though, versus Honey Badgers this Saturday, essentially brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. So thank you to them for making all that possible. Maybe that should be their team name. We move on, mood tracker time. We're headed to Norman, Oklahoma tonight. I've been thinking on this one. You know, we couldn't do it immediately. A lot of our Oklahoma fans, they wanted us to immediately do a sooner mood tracker. And the mood tracker for those unfamiliar is just when we take the temperature of the fan base. Instead of, you know, being in preview magazine season or instead of just kind of looking down flyover style, we get right down there in the weeds, granularly with the fan base, what do you think? Well, we couldn't do it because there was coaching turnover. And you know the rule around here. Anytime you got coaching turnover, we just back up, beep, beep, beep. We give it a little while and we let the dust settle because dust is synonymous with emotions in college football. So we need the emotion to be pushed out of the room and we need a little bit of logic to take its place. I feel like we've entered that period now in Norman around Oklahoma. Brent Venables is the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners can't say that enough. You got to get used to these sorts of things. So I go over to OUinsider.com today, which is our Oklahoma site. And I said, we're doing the mood tracker tonight for Oklahoma. I need you to fill in the blank. My current mood towards OU football is what? And boy, it was only like a couple hours ago. We like, I think we're three pages deep and counting on the board over there. So thank you to OUinsider.com. I think they pinned the thread. That's not something every one of our sites does for me. They pinned the thread for me immediately over there. I think Brandon Drum, Parker Thune, and those guys, I appreciate that. They were very active. Here, essentially, was the mood amongst the Oklahoma faithful over there. I think they are ready to let the chips fall wherever they may. Now, this is obviously a period of time where I don't think Oklahoma fans feel like they've got it all figured out. I don't think they know definitively in their minds that Brent Venables, he's the guy. He's about to take us right back to the mountaintop. It's not that they have that. They don't have A lot of arrogance about their approach right now. But the reason the mood around Oklahoma football is we're ready to let the chips fall where they may is because you cannot overstate how bad a taste Lincoln Riley's exit left in their mouth. And then you start hearing things and you start getting feedback from this angle and that angle. And it turns out you had a lot of people in Norman, Oklahoma and around the program that may not have thought as highly of Lincoln Riley as all of us outsiders would have been led to believe, but you couldn't say anything while he was there. And really, Here's what it amounts to. What it amounts to is that whole dynamic they've had at Arkansas for a while, where they feel like they've got one of their own in Sam Pittman. Maybe they didn't feel like that. They felt like they had a really good coach. They had a good offensive mind, but maybe they never felt like Lincoln Riley was one of theirs. Well, the reason why they're ready to let the chips fall where they may with Brenton Venables is because the moment he landed in Norman, he has felt every bit to Norman, Oklahoma, what Sam Pittman has felt like to Fayetteville, Arkansas. They've got one of theirs. And so when you have that kind of confidence and you claim to not have had it, I'm not there, I'm not on the ground, I'm telling you what Oklahoma fans say, when they haven't had it and they do have it now, there's this comfort factor. There's this weird comfort factor, even though the guy has not been a head coach a day in his life, there's this comfort factor of, we'll let the chips fall where they may, knowing that we're gonna do it the way we want it done. Now here's where you also draw a little bit of confidence, I'd say a lot of confidence, if I were an Oklahoma fan, there was not this long, drawn out, dramatic, chaotic coaching search, even though Lincoln Riley's departure was kind of sprung on them, not literally overnight, but kind of overnight. History would tell you they would have been caught with their pants down, figuratively, of course, and they, you know, kind of fumble their way through a coaching search and they don't really do their due diligence and they end up with whoever they end up with, rents repeat a few years later. And that's not what happened. They had the ducks in a row. They knew exactly what they wanted. They knew who embodied that. They waited as long as they needed to wait. And then they went and they got Brent Venables. And Brent Venables came there, and you had a lot of varying degrees of doubt nationally. I haven't really sensed any doubt whatsoever inside there. And that's kind of the same vibe that you got when Ryan Day took over at Ohio State, kind of you know, the same vibe that you got somewhat, even when Kirby got the job at Georgia. A lot of people looked around and said, but you could have had him, 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 and him. Uh, For that matter, Napier down at Florida feels the same way. Uh, Florida's the same way Oklahoma is. They're saying, don't worry about it. We got our guy. Ohio State said, we got our guy. Georgia said, we got our guy. Well, here we go. Oklahoma, you got your guy. And they're willing to let the chips fall where they may. Now, I'll tell you what fascinates me personally about Brent Venables at Oklahoma is the whole recruiting dynamic. You know, they, I think, pulled off a minor miracle in holding the class together as well and as highly rated as they did this last cycle. I mean, the takeaway for me hosting the signing day show was when we looked over at the screen and we saw where OU was going to end up, they, over the last several years, there was only one class Lincoln Riley had landed that was ranked higher than the one that Brent Venables and Oklahoma staff, new staff, was able to hold together this last cycle. Now, that's not totally indicative of what we can expect down the road. This is where I'm fascinated. Because, you know, we did a show last week where we talked about the changing recruiting dynamics in California, Florida. And in texas lincoln riley's now in southern california mario Cristobal's now in southern florida uh sark and jimbo really lighten it up on the recruiting trail in texas well, here's why i mentioned that when you go through any of these oklahoma classes just like i did earlier i was reading the states off to jesse and i was reading the the hometowns of all the recruits there's a lot of florida there's a lot of california and of course there's always going to be a lot of texas and this is where the rubber's really going to meet the road i, I don't really care Quite frankly, what Brent Venable shows you on a grease board, I have no doubt in my mind that guy knows football inside and out. Don't doubt it whatsoever. I don't doubt they'll always be able to attract a very quality coaching staff there because it's a rock solid culture. Oklahoma football has long been viewed, even by outsiders, as one of the most rock solid cultures in the sport. I don't doubt any of that. And I'm not saying necessarily I doubt what I'm about to say, but this is the biggest mystery about this new staff to me. Are they going to be able to attack those three regions? as effectively as they need to, to recruit at the level they need to, to match player for player in conference championship scenarios and maybe even college football playoff scenarios. Because it's not getting easier to recruit in either Florida, well, I guess there's three of them, Florida, Texas, especially South Florida, Texas, and California. The chore is only getting harder, and now you're throwing a new coaching staff into that mix. That is the great unknown for me. And I don't think that Oklahoma fans necessarily disagree with that. They they would admit to you. They were doing it in the thread over on OU Insider. I've got two Oklahoma buddies I talk with all the time, and they say, hey, I'm not ready to make predictions, but I can tell you one thing for sure. I love the dude we hired. I love Brent Venables. I mean, it's, it's not even spring of his first year. What more can you ask for? Let's roll on. Hey, they're watching us tonight. Told you, they're watching us tonight. They're watching us in Palmetto, Florida, and they're watching us in Tallahassee, Alabama. Absolutely not to be confused with Tallahassee. There you go. Uh, don't let me skip over the segment, though. That's how you confuse yourself. I asked someone the other day that I was eating lunch with, <clears throat> kind of, mm, how about, we, we would call them in the college football administrative business. Colin, that's not a good end point for you. Here's a good end point. What's the most underrated rivalry in college football to you right now? Not the ones that grab all the marquee headlines and attention and whatnot. So, so no Ohio State, Michigan, no Auburn Alabama or anything like that. But the ones that are underrated, the ones when you watch, you say, "Whoa, but you really never see them on the top 10 lists." What if I told you, I got a rivalry. Uh, the schools are separated by 360 miles. One is nine and two versus the other in conference play over the last 11 years, and both will perennially have national championship aspirations. That rivalry is Texas A&M versus LSU. And there's some real genuine hatred here. And I don't think the country knows about it. I don't think in Spokane, Washington, or Modesto, California, when you guys are watching SEC football from a distance, you realize the fundamental hatred and disdain that exists between Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and College Station, Texas. There are many reasons for it, but I just want to detail a few and why this is so important on the national landscape well here's the fundamental issue in the sec west it's the only division in college football where there are three programs with genuine tier one expectations. to be clear tier one expectations are not only where your fan base expects you to contend for the playoff every year also the rest of the country expects it so not maybe this year but moving forward 2023 or 4 and beyond Texas A&M with Jimbo, it'll be expected of him every year. It's always expected of Alabama, and it will be expected of Brian Kelly at LSU. Maybe not this year, but years moving forward after this year. There aren't enough wins to go around. It's always going to be a problem as long as you are hiring and spending the way they do in the SEC West. Bama's a safe bet. When we're talking about playoff expectations, Bama's going to be there. So then we follow up with this question. Who's the other one? There's really only room for one other mainstay, unless they just play hopscotch every other year. Is it Texas A&M, or is it LSU? Is it Jimbo Fisher, or is it Brian Kelly? Now, this thing got red hot for a little while when it was Jimbo versus Ed Orgeron. Remember, there was this whole deal where LSU, from the outside, it looked like they were flirting with Jimbo Fisher, and some people would tell you it was never gonna happen, and some people would tell you Jimbo's representation used LSU to get the deal he really wanted at Texas A&M. However it played out, they never forgot it. And so Jimbo's at LSU. And you just add in the fact that there were rumors this past uh, December, January. It was it was drawn out a little bit. You add that in. That's part one of the uh, special sauce there. But then when you got Ed Orgeron in there and you had them win a national championship in 2019, and he was the guy that was the afterthought. He was kind of the backup option for LSU. That made it really spicy. That was great. And it was also this thing with LSU and Texas, too. But I don't think that the intensity of this rivalry has reached its potential apex yet. Because I think what Brian Kelly versus Jimbo Fisher could be carries way more volume with it over the long term than anything at Orgeron was ever going to do there against Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. LSU needs a presence in Houston. They need a presence in East Texas on the recruiting trail. And there's a stat that's floating around that still is kind of mind-blowing. There was a point late in the signing day Uh, cycle towards the second signing day that I think is still true, I think, and it was if you take just the kids A&M signed from the greater Houston area in the last recruiting cycle, that alone would have constituted safely a top 15 class. I think at one point it was a top 10 class. It may still be there. Billy Lucci over on Texags had that stat, and I looked at it like three times, and I said, is that true? Carry the one, four, two, yep, he's right. So something's got to give there. Because Brian Kelly's looking around, and sure, you bring him in, and he wants to try and lock down the state of Louisiana, but LSU's always been at their best when they can recruit the greater Houston area as well. You see, we were talking about Oklahoma. How well are they going to recruit Texas a little while ago? LSU, same deal. How are they going to recruit Texas? Then, again, we're talking about the most fierce rivalry. Do I need to remind anyone where this falls on the schedule? This is what's really juicy and really interesting about this. When you talk about rivalry college football, most of the rivalry games are reserved for rivalry week, which is the last week of the regular season. That's where they play. A&M and LSU, they already play last week of the regular season. Now, the ramifications on this game itself, now and moving forward, are already going to be significant. Just because of what the game itself means for the two teams, you could also have SEC Western Division implications. You could have New Year's Six implications. But if we're talking about these teams truly ascending to SEC championship game contention, SEC West contention, then think about what we're saying. Because if you're in that category, your goal is to win a national championship. Think about the road. And think about for either one of these teams. If you're Texas A&M, let's say you are A&M and your goal is to win a national championship. For the foreseeable future, here's what that means. That means the last four games you play are going to consist of a top 10 caliber LSU, uh, easily, if you go to Atlanta, a top-five caliber SEC Eastern Division opponent, then you got the semifinal game against a top-four team, and then you got the national championship game against the top-four team. So that means either one of these programs, to fulfill their ultimate goal of winning a national championship, they got to run through four top-ten caliber teams in a row to get it done. Doesn't sound that easy to me. You know, in this whole win is a win, you're, your record says you're our world we apparently live in, yeah, that's tough. It forces you to go four for four. And there aren't many other programs who face that kind of task. And that's before they expand this precious playoff. And once they expand it, I have no clue how many you're going to have to run through. Maybe a hundred, you know, maybe 200. Is there really any limit to how many playoff games are good for the sport? I hear, by the way, they're going to start playing college basketball in a couple of weeks. Can't wait to tune into that. Jesse's telling me something. Je- oh, they've been playing for a few months. Mu- I'm sorry. I, um, I was unaware. Uh, Bethel Park, Pennsylvania, though. I can tell you they're tuned in watching us in Bethel Park, PA tonight. And Wenatchee, Washington. Apparently a nice contingent of viewers in Wenatchee, Washington. Happy to have you all. We did a segment on the College Football Extra podcast yesterday that got probably the most rave reviews of any single segment that we've done. So much so that I clipped some of it and I put it on Twitter. And it was a question from a viewer. In fact, Colin, I think we have the question. Here it is. Caleb asked us, what is your Mount Rushmore of type of college football fan? It could be any type of fan, the funnier the better. Now I'm, gonna, I'm about to show you an example of some that we came up with. I came up with blank and it's not close guy. And this is a guy who would say, well, Colin's got the clip, we'll roll it. He would say something like this to you. From Hamilton, Georgia, to Auburn, Alabama, to Noonan, to Carrollton, up to Atlanta, you walk into any establishment, any diner, any gas station, and you start a Bo versus Herschel debate, you are going to have 20 folks on both sides of the fence say, oh, Herschel, it's not close. Oh, Bo, it's not even close. Uh, Newsflash, it's close. Those are two of the most incredible athletes God ever put on the planet. I can assure you it's close. These kinds of folks would watch the Super Bowl coin flip and they'd say, oh, tails, it's not close. Literal 50-50. The calculator can tell you that. The calculator could slap you in the face and say, we ran the numbers on this inside the calculator. It's a 50-50 shot here. It's, it's literally as close as anything on earth could get. Nah, nah, heads, it's not even close, heads. <sighs> then a lot of you chose to, listen to the frustration in the voice there. Thank you, Josh. So a lot of you chose to have fun with that. Well then, I went down a list. I gave you like two or three more. The stars don't matter guy. Stars don't matter guys. always around every corner. He just lurks, he's waiting for you. Also, the media hates us guy. Any time that something negative is said about your program, you know you get four guys arrested tomorrow. And at the mere mention of the story, ESPN hates us. CBS hates us. Actually, buddy, it's, it's the police blotter that hates you. We're just reporting the truth. Uh, but I said, you know what? There's no way I came up with all the good that guys. No way for college football. So I put it to you, and boy did you respond. Mountains and mountains of responses. So I have several more that guys for college football that we just have to add. Ralph Russo of the AP submitted one that I am so angry with myself that I didn't remember. And it is posting screenshots of missed holding calls, guy. You know him, I know him, you may even be related to one or two of them. You watch a football game and you go on Twitter 20 minutes later, don't care who lost, you take that losing team's fan base and there's gonna be a small sliver of them that have gone back on the DVR and they've hit pause and they've found, you know, A still shot, it's always a still screenshot of a jersey being pulled or the bottom of a shirt being pulled there, and they've put it on Twitter, and it is essentially proof that they got screwed. That one missing holding call. Never mind, they were minus three turnovers, and they probably got 10 points worth of missed calls on their end that benefited them, and they lost 31 to 13. None of that matters. They missed a holding call. Not only did this screw us, but this person is also a close cousin to just refs screwed us guy in general. The officiating crew is out to get us. Listen, the only fan base out there that can legitimately say there is evidence out there, more than just circumstantial evidence, that the league office is out to get them is Arkansas Razorback fans. Otherwise, don't really want to hear it. What about bashing quality of life guy? This is a very peculiar phenomenon that exists. I've experienced it very up close and personal in the Auburn versus Alabama rivalry. And here's what this guy does. This guy, when he's hating on you, He doesn't just hate on your fandom, and he doesn't just hate on your program. He also bashes you. Probably calls you anything from trailer trash to, well, you can fill in the blank. You know good and well the roads down which they'll go. Here's what's interesting about the Iron Bowl rivalry these people live across the street from each other, and they're shouting across the street insults about the neighbor's quality of life, not realizing socioeconomically you guys are linked arm in arm. Like, what what are you talking about right now? It's one thing, and they're known to do this a time or two. My friends in Mountain Brook, you know that you've turned that nose up at the fine folks down in Clio, Alabama, a time or two. That's one thing. But when I'm listening to someone literally trash the the socioeconomic status of folks who live in their own neighborhood, never made sense to me. What about we weren't healthy guy? This is a guy that gets in week 10 of the college football season, and unless his roster is still in pristine condition, and there's not a single red Sharpie line drawn through any projected starter from his Phil Steele preview magazine in August, he's going to tell you, if they lose a game, we were banged up. We weren't healthy. Pays no mind to how many of the opposition's players were out. Doesn't care. They could also have lost 31-13. We weren't healthy. And the insinuation there, of course, at the conclusion of an 8-4 and four season, is if this right guard wouldn't have broken his foot in week one we probably would have won a ship. We probably would have gone on a run at the very least. Then we have a Hall of Famer. Easy Mount Rushmore status here. Questions play calling, guy. I think I need to be careful because I'm probably going to step on a lot of toes in our own viewing audience. I'm not saying every play call that is made in a game is the right call. What I am saying is guys wearing the headsets are a lot more qualified than you are. You sell Toyotas all week for a living. You're on the road selling insurance. You could not name 85% of the opposition's roster. And that's even if you're a diehard fan. These dudes put in like 16 hour days and probably know everything just short of their social security number and blood type. And they've scouted them and they've run through tendencies. And they know that if that formation is checked into, it means we go from this list of plays and here's our go-to plays, here's our money plays. This stuff's not guesswork. This is not like Xbox. When you guys play football on Xbox, you're choosing play-by-play. When you actually get in a game and they're calling plays, it's predetermined based on what the opposition is showing you on the field, and it's not a whole lot of guesswork. Like, they know if we get that, we're doing either this, this, or this, and maybe the only guesswork is you get to pick which one. And yet, I got my guy sitting on the couch, and he's down there in Savannah, Georgia, and it goes from 1st and 1 to 2nd and 11, and popcorn spews out the mouth, and he's yelling at Todd Munkin, and it's a play-calling problem for Georgia. It's not an execution problem. It's a play-calling problem. Can't stand it? Got to live with it, though. Then there is that guy's cousin, and that is, we were vanilla on offense for a reason, guy. And it's one thing if you're playing UT Chattanooga, all due respect to the mocks in Week 1, and you're up 45 nothing before halftime, yes. Yes, you are going to hold things back offensively in the third quarter. But we had a situation this past year, and I'm not going to name names. That's not what we're here to do. But there was a conference game early in the season where one team held a one possession lead, again, in a conference game against their opponent, and they ended up winning, I think, by two scores. And I kid you not, I had a fan of the winning team justify the poor performance in my inbox by saying, and I quote, well, you know, we, we, we held a lot back. I mean, we were, we were vanilla offensively. This is not a spring game, man, especially if it's a conference game and double especially. If they're keeping score and it's one possession in the third quarter, you're not holding anything back. You, it's college football. You're on the edge of the cliff every week. You don't have time to, well, let's just play it out the way we were going to play it out today. We'll, we'll regroup during the week and we'll be better next Saturday. There is no safety net in this sport. That's the beauty of it. At least for now, there's not. So the vanilla play calling guy, never too far away from you. What about who have they played guy? Or who have they beaten guy? I mean, you could beat two teams into an ever loving coma in week one and two. But if they're not projected to make a bowl, I'm looking on any given Reddit thread or Twitter post and I'm seeing about 20% of the respondents say, yeah, but who have they played? I mean, the, um, the Los Angeles Rams could descend into the Pac-12 and start the season 2-0, and but if they played Fresno and UTEP, they would be told, yeah, but you hadn't played anybody." And there's, there's this fine line here. So sometimes you do need to see a certain caliber of competition, we all know that, we understand the dynamics in play here, but it's okay. You know, if you're watching teams hang 70 by the start of the fourth quarter, they're probably decent. You know, you probably don't have the same conversation there as if they're squeaking by FCS competition. Okay, if you start 4-0, and but it's a really shaky 4-0, and and you're favored by 35 and you're winning by 10, you can talk to me all you want to about the fact they hadn't played anyone. But who have they played, guy, pops up in like week 10 sometimes. When you've got at least somewhat of a ready made, interpretable resume at that point for everybody, and it's still, well, th- there's no top 10 teams here. Who have they played? Never mind the fact that they probably beat them and knocked them out of the top 10. Also, I wanted to quickly add in the check cleared guy. That's essentially reserved for any time you miss on a recruit, and you think you got him, and someone crystal balled him to you, but then he swerves last minute. It can't be that someone out-recruited you. It can't be that someone's a better closer. Cash was dropped, a bag was delivered, the check cleared, boom, check cleared guy. He wasn't a priority guy, is a very close relative to check cleared guy. He wasn't a priority, is a pure defense mechanism that 43-year-old grown men use when a recruit spurns their university. He wasn't a priority. May not have even had a committable offer, for all we know. He was not a priority. And then Jesse came up with this one. I wouldn't have thought of this. Jesse said, what about academic flex guy? That's the Northwestern fan out there. Well, Jesse singled out Northwestern. I want to be clear. Jesse's the Northwestern fan, not me. I think they got some of the finest facilities in the land. But Jesse uh, said, you know, sometimes when the season goes off the rails, but you've still got high academic standards, they resort to the academic flex. And they ask you, yeah, but how many of your players could get in here? Well, what's your graduation rate, buddy? Yeah, the confetti's raining down on you, and you just won your third national title in seven years. But we're graduating kids. We're actually changing the world. And then, you know, the Alabamas and Georgias and Clemsons of the world, they just go, guilty. Or, or conversely, you know, we actually do a halfway decent job of those things, too, but we also win. And by the way, you control your academic standards. You can change it tomorrow if you wanted to. That college football fan has proved to be one of the most fun, now episodic segments that we've ever had. I'm not capping this right now. We could still have additions. In fact, I trust that we will have additions. Now, at the very, very tail end of the show, I wanted to touch on something. I need to talk to Brandon Walker, and I need to do it through this camera for a second. So, most of you know who that is. He uh, hosts many shows, one that features his name, and one that is called Unnecessary Roughness. He works over at Barstool Sports. He's been around the block for a minute. So in case you missed what they did, it's a concept that started off innocently enough. They came up with, in true March fashion, a bracket with college football media personality. Now, I was unaware of this. One of you alerted me to it. So they put the top 32 in there, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what happened was I was maliciously put in there as a 16 seed And I was put against Keith Jackson as a one seed in the first round. Many problems here. Number one, someone designed that and knew good and well what they were doing. And we're going to get to him in a second. But number two, in this alternate universe where I'm even competitive with Keith Jackson, I would just pull the fire alarm. I would go burn the office building to the ground before I was ever even allowed to compete with Keith Jackson. Because Keith Jackson is my hero. I grew up looking up to Keith Jackson. I idolized Keith Jackson. Everyone did who's of any kind of age. And even if you aren't of the age where you grew up on Keith Jackson, you just need to type his name into YouTube for the rest of the night and just sit back and listen. It's the best voice in the history, not only of college football, but of sports broadcasting, in my opinion. And I know many of you share that. So I would be I would be Coach Yost. I would yell to Keith Jackson, run it up, Keith, leave no doubt. As he was body bagging me. That's how excited I would be. And then afterwards after he hung half a hundred on me, I would ask for Keith Jackson's autograph. I didn't have a problem with Keith Jackson beating me. Keith Jackson should smoke me. The problem was how malicious the intent was. Secondly, this bracket was dripping with sketch Where was Joel Klatt? You know, where was Brady Quinn? Where's Joe Tessitore? Now, I know that Brandon Walker would look and say, well, I've got to bump you out to put them in. No, no. There's some other pretty nefarious figures in this thing you could bump before me. Up to and including the other 16 seed, might I add. But I had to respond, not for me, friends. I want to respond for us. Because Brandon Walker didn't attack me. He attacked us. And so I thought, you know what? If it's bracket season, then let's make us a bracket. So Colin, let's show the late kick bracket. We made one. It's very easy to interpret. And if you're listening on podcast, I can't really describe it to you. And it have its full effect. I need you to go look on Twitter. I need you to go watch the replay. But Brandon Walker had his own round one matchup. And he got humbled he got smoked. Dare I say, he even got trashed. But Brandon Walker's got a reputation out there. And I think it's a problem. And it's a character flaw for him that he's got to deal with. He and his therapist alone. I really don't have any control over this, but the problem with Brandon Walker is twofold. Number one, he's soft. He blocks folks when they make fun of him. I don't know that I have a single person on Twitter, blocked. Brandon Walker's got a whole army of you, blocked. Again, I'm trying to stand up for you guys. I represent us. Brandon Walker, unfortunately, represents himself. But here's the second problem Brandon Walker has. He is soft and he blocks people, but he can't block me. And here is the reason why. It's the second big character flaw that Brandon Walker has. He can't block me because he loves me. And Brandon Walker is many things that start with an L, but liar is not one of them. I know him to be a very honest person. And I say that, Because if you go up to him and you confront him and you ask him about this, he's going to have to tell you it's true. Brandon Walker loves me. Brandon Walker even views me as a friend. Brandon Walker, if really he had his way, would probably sit right here and we would just do this show together. And so Brandon Walker cannot block me. And so I can say anything I want to about him. In fact, you can even choose to live vicariously and direct your venom through me, and I can spew it all over him with total and complete immunity. But a lot of you wanted me to touch on this. So I feel that we have in a pretty scorched earth fashion touched on. And so we're going to let it lie. But I will tell you this, every time I get off this show, I look at this eye Josh, and I see that Twitter light up, and I see that Spaces function there and I always think to myself, boy, we could jump on there after a show any given night and we could probably have some fun. And you know, you can have as many people on there as you want to. You can have as many speakers as you want to. Wouldn't it be fun one night if we hopped off here and we just hopped in there, invited Brandon Walker and probably half an army that he's blocked? I don't know how that works in other spaces, but let's just see what the future holds, okay? My balls are in his court. The end. Quote me on that. Thank you so much for watching tonight. Make sure you are following on all the social channels at Josh, and make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. As I told you, we're doing Late Kick Extra as just a podcast, but we're putting a lot of clips from it on video. You just kind of saw a couple of them on that extra. So thank you so much for making all that possible. Numbers continue to go up. It defies all explanation because it's the middle of, well, that dirty O word for a lot of people, not for us. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for our production executives, why not even for Brandon Walker? I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great start to your weekend, and God bless you.